Hi there, my name is Alex Faust and you're listening to Conversations at the Edge. Each week we meet with the top business thought leader to learn what they think we should be prioritizing to build better businesses, positively impact our communities, and scale up. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, depending what part of the world you're joining us from. I am Alex Faust, your host of Conversations at the Edge. I'm very excited to be joined by our guest today, David Emerald Wommeldorf. And if you're not familiar with David, he is the author of the best-selling The The Power of Ted, The Empowerment Dynamic, and Three Vital Questions, Transforming Workplace Drama. And today we're going to focus on how his frameworks impact our mindset as leaders Mm -hmm. and our ability to operate as excellent leaders uh, for ourselves and for our our communities, for our teams, etc. So David, welcome back to Conversations at the Edge. It's been almost two years since you've been with us. Amazing. uh, Where are you calling in from today? Uh, Bainbridge Island, Washington, off the, uh, near Seattle. Uh, I want to jump right in and, and talk about this idea of mindset. And you know, I've been writing a lot about mindset in terms of dealing with problems or issues and trying to see them as opportunities. I've been kind of relating it to the externalities that we're facing as a species today. And um, it's a goal for me personally to improve myself as a, a husband, a friend, a leader. So when it comes to mindset, I'm curious you know, what role do you see it playing for people in business and and kind of what are your thoughts around that? Well, first of all, Alex, I I just want to say that your notion of where we are as a species, I think is is spot on. I think where where we are as, frankly, as a planet has everything to do with mindset. And uh, you mentioned the three vital questions. We're going to just focus on uh, what really is in the first vital question, which which is, where are you putting your focus, which has everything to do with mindset. And as leaders in organizations, as leaders in our families, as uh, as leaders of work teams, uh, what we focus on has a great deal to do with what shows up in our experience. So frankly, it all begins with mindset. And, um, and there's a, a particular way that I frame mindset that I call FISB. And maybe if I uh, kind of tee that up, we can kind of uh, play with that as a way of looking at mindsets. And so the, the idea of Fisbee, not Frisbee, but Fisbee is, uh, it's F-I-S-B-E. And there are three components to what I see as the, what I'll, I'll refer to as the human operating system. And I'll say more about that in a moment. So Fisbee stands for focus. And what we focus on engages an inner state or an emotional response. So that's the I-S of Fisbee. And that emotional response then drives our behavior, which is the BE. So you've got focus, interstate behavior. And if you think about us as human beings, we're cognitive beings. We think about things. We focus and make interpretations of of things. We are emotional beings. We have emotional responses. And obviously, we're behavioral beings that take action. And so to connect it to your the, the idea of the species is I firmly believe in business, in society, and frankly, in the world, that we are in dire need of upgrading our human operating system. So talk about, you know, a little bit more about this human operating system. How do we kind of think about FISB and using it in mm-hmm. our in our daily lives to make decisions and ultimately interact and, and engage with people? You bet. Well, you know, I'm going to bridge off of a great article that you sent out uh, to membership last week from Harvard Business Review about uh, 
uh, the title, To Be a Great Leader, You Need the Right Mindset. And um, as they did in that article, they contrasted a number of different sets of mindsets, you know, kind of uh, one being like the growth mindset versus fixed, fixed mindset. Well, in our work, we also do kind of a, a comparison between two primary mindsets or what I call two primary orientations, because the idea of what we focus on defines our orientation. And so the two primary orientations are a problem orientation and an outcome orientation. So let me take a minute and I'll describe the FISB for each of them. So in the problem orientation, obviously what we do is we focus on problems. And when a problem uh, comes into our awareness, what it engages as an inner state is some form of anxiety. Now, there can be a range of anxiety responses. It could be as mild as this is a hassle and I wish it would go away to, frankly, out and out uh, fear and terror. And it's fear-based anxiety. So the inner state is some form of anxiety, which then drives reactive behavior. And the four forms of reactive behavior that, that we speak to is traditionally in psychology, fight, flight, or freeze. Um, you know, we either aggress against the, the situation, we try to get away from it, flee, or we may do nothing and hope it goes away. And then the fourth that I've added is to, to appease, to go along, to get along. Here's the shadow side of, of that FISBE, is that there is embedded in that FISBE, which, by the way, I believe is our default orientation as human beings and therefore human systems like organizations uh, is that the false assumption is we tell ourselves we're reacting to the problem when in reality we're reacting to the anxiety that we feel. And, um, and let me, uh, and I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Uh, what I want to do is to verbally set up the FISB for the outcome orientation. So I can do a little bit of uh, compare and contrast. Uh, and by the way, everybody has experience with the outcome orientation uh, in their lives, at, at least at some point, but it's just not our default as human beings. So in the, the outcome orientation, we're focused obviously on outcomes, what it is that we want to create, what it is that we want to accomplish. And if we care about that outcome, it's going to tap into an inner state that's passion-based because we care about it. And that passion-based interstate is then going to drive behavior, which is creative in nature. I refer to it as baby steps. What's the next baby step that's going to help us get closer to or clearer about that outcome? So, um, so let me take a moment to contrast, uh, compare and contrast those two mindsets, and then we'll see where the conversation goes. This one kind of the latest stage here. So back to the problem orientation. So uh, what I want to do is I want to walk through a thought process so that I can validate for you and for uh, those who are here or listening why the, this false assumption is so important to be aware of. And here's the thought process. So a problem occurs, and uh, typically if I'm in a, in a group or a classroom, I'd say I'd be asking leading questions, but I'm just going to give everybody the answer. So problem occurs. What, when the problem comes into our experience, it tends to increase our anxiety. And as our anxiety goes up, we then react, either fight, flight, freeze, or appease. Here's where the false assumption comes in. If our reaction has a positive impact on the situation at hand, what then happens is because the situation seemingly, and I'm going to come back to seemingly, gets better, 
the intensity of the problem diminishes. Well, if the perceived intensity of the problem diminishes, my anxiety is going to diminish. If my anxiety diminishes, I'm just going to go on to the next thing that, that has my attention and I'm going to stop reacting only to have that problem reemerge. So uh, one of the things I want to stress is the problem orientation is not a problem solving orientation. It's merely a problem reacting orientation because what's driving our behavior is the anxiety we feel. And when the anxiety diminishes, we lose energy for action. And to me, leadership is about adopting this outcome orientation. And as we focus on the outcome, and sometimes our outcomes are clear and concrete, other times they may be more vague and directional. But as we focus on that and it taps into our passion, we take whatever the next baby step is and that baby step either gets us closer to or helps us get clearer about the, the outcome. So it becomes uh, kind of a virtuous cycle between the, the focus on the outcome we care about, our passion-based interstate, and taking generative creative action via baby steps. So that's kind of the, the, the distinction between the two FISBs and mindsets. You know, I, I think it's a collective, probably most leaders in our community want to be operating in that outcome orientation most of the right. time. When we think about building our business and building our teams, you know, hopefully we're not reactive all the time. But I, I got to imagine it's easier said than done. I mean, speaking of ex- from experience, it's definitely easier said than done. So do you have any recommendations of like how to turn this into a habit? And how do you pause and make sure that you're not reacting to the anxieties, but really reacting to the outcomes or, or creating solutions, to the outcomes that you desire. Yeah. yeah. In your question, Alex is, is one of the keys because you use the word pause. I mean, the, the most crucial thing is to be able to develop a habit of pausing and in a sense, calling a timeout. So when a problem occurs and, and, I just want to take a half step back. One of the things that I'd also say is rather than seeing the two mindsets or orientations as being kind of firmly either or, think about them as being on a continuum. And it's like, where is the center of gravity for you? So the the habit to develop is that when a problem occurs, being able to pause and, and ask the question of what does this problem, uh, what, what is this problem in relation to that I care about? Or why, and so another way of framing it that's going to sound real crass is, why do I care about this problem? Um, and is it a problem that somebody else has anxiety around? Or is it a problem that really is strategically important for the outcomes that we want to create? And that to me is the habit is, is being able to, to call that momentary time out. And to ask the question, what is it we really want? Um, and, and sometimes it, it takes reframing, in a sense, reframing the problem and being able to say, if I solve this problem, what would it allow me to have? Or what would it allow us to do that that problem is standing uh, as an inhibitor to? If you can answer that question, you're inherently shifting your focus to the outcome that you want. And then saying, let's tackle this problem because it's strategically important. Like how much of a spillover effect does this mindset like have in a company? So if you're the leader, how much impact is your 
mindset having on the teams around you? Does it need to start at the CEO level? Can it be a middle manager who's kind of like creating a shift? What do you see in terms of um, the spillover and impact from yeah. other individuals? Well, I, the short answer to me is it can begin anywhere. And um, just the way you frame the question, I'm not doing this to, to do a shameless plug, but the the Three Vital Questions book, um, actually the, the story, it's a fable. And the main character is a team lead. He's not even in a formal supervisory role. And, and in that, he gets exposed to this way of thinking and some of the other frameworks. Um, and he starts to change his behavior and the ripple effect that it impacts his boss, who is very problem oriented. Um, and it's subtle and it's a baby step at a time. But the reality is, I mean, would it be great if it starts from the top and filters down and we have plenty of experience working with CEOs and, and doing that, but it really can begin wherever the individual is um, in working with their own mindset. And what do you see is like the thing people most often get wrong when trying to make that shift? Like where do people yeah. kind of go off the deep end and maybe have an adverse effect? Well, I'm going to answer a little bit different question if I can. Uh, in sure. that, rather than uh, deep end or wrong, I can tell you that one of the one of the challenges we have in teaching this, um, and where people can misinterpret the idea of outcomes, is that, and that's the confusion between outcomes and goals, which may be a surprising answer to you, because they are related but they can be very different. And sometimes we think outcomes are only goals that we need to accomplish X, Y, Z by such and such a time or uh, get this measurable result. And again, that can be really important, but, but outcomes are longer term, tend to be more global. I'll give you an example. Um, Coca-Cola, actually way back in 1923, who, the guy who was the CEO back then, their marketing, they came up with a, a strategic vision, which to me is an outcome goal of that Coca-Cola is within arm's reach of everybody on the planet. Think about that as an outcome. And so every time they set a goal, every time they do strategic planning, every time it's like, is what we are uh, planning, is what we are talking about going to move us in the direction of that ultimately unattainable, but that, that ultimate outcome. And then setting goals and setting, uh, you know, setting those baby step goals in service to that. And so what, what can happen is that the interpretation of goals as being outcomes, when in fact goals are in service to some larger, uh, more, frankly, more impassioned outcome. You're having a problem, let's say, with sales. Okay. And the outcome that you're wanting is an improved sales process. What would is the, is that the goal? Is that the outcome? Is the the goal the the number of the revenue? Or like how are you seeing the relationship between goals and, and outcomes when sales is the problem? Yeah. Well, actually, again, I love the way you ask questions because there's a kernel in your question that to me is the unlocking key, which is what, what's going on with the sales process? And let's look at the process and if, and kind of the, 
the organizing question that gets us to outcomes is if we had the ideal sales process, how would we know it? And the answer to how we would know it would not be initially, we would meet these targets. It would be, what would our clients be saying? How will we be spending our time? What would be the, the, the criteria by which if we had the ideal sales process, we would know it? Design that and then look at what's going on in our current reality that supports that process and what's going on in our, in our current reality, our current process that's inhibiting or derailing that process. So I hope I hope that helps in terms of the the distinction. The the goal that you know the the sales will be a measurable, but it's not the measurable to the outcome. Yeah, makes sense. So you know we just talked about outcomes and goals. How about like a distinction between what I assume happens a lot is like optimism and outcome orientation. Uh. Can there be you know, one without the other, how do you see those two ideas interacting? Yeah, actually, again, great question. Um, so I do think the outcome orientation tends to be more, uh, I don't want to do air quotes, but more optimistic in nature, certainly more possibility oriented uh, and a longer term. But I also want to stress, Alex, that the outcome orientation is not all goodness and light. And, and in fact, um, in fact, sometimes the outcome orientation, many times, I would say the outcome orientation in the long run can be harder work than the problem orientation. Because in the problem orientation, I'm just reacting to the next incoming, right? And, uh, and the, the problem is determining my focus. Whereas it takes some work to stay focused on the outcome in the face of realities that we're facing as an organization or as a team. Um, and so I think there's optimism in the, in the long game here, knowing that, that so, so a distinction that, that I sometimes make is I think that um, in the problem orientation, a phenomenon can absolutely be burnout. And burnout is what happens when I spend all my time and energy doing things and reacting in a way that in the long run doesn't make a difference. I just did air quotes. <laughs> doesn't make a difference. Whereas the that the emotional quality in the outcome orientation can be what I call creative exhaustion. It's like, man, we we accomplished it. Boy, did it take a lot of uh, energy and man, am I wiped out. But underneath that is a sense of satisfaction and in that sense optimism. Uh, but it's not all goodness and light and it can be really hard work. You know, we're we're at time, but David, I want to give you, you know, one last opportunity. Anything else you want the community to know uh, before we head out today? The work of mindsets, again, is, begins individually. And the mindset that we adopt then ripples out to our teams, to our organizations, to our families, to our communities, our neighborhoods, etc. So, again, this notion that uh, all leadership begins with self-leadership. And... Um, and to just kind of remember that mantra. Thanks for listening to Conversations at the Edge. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please share it with a friend or a teammate who you think would benefit from what we covered. In addition, you can find us on LinkedIn to get all of the updates. Or if you'd like to hear the full conversation, just visit growthinstitute.com forward slash the edge to learn how you can become a member as well. Thanks again and see you next time.